Welcome to Business Aspirin, pain relief for business. Clint Junell has managed a restoration company in Dallas since 2008 and is one of the top drying experts in his region. Clint is also the co-founder of JobDocs, a software developed to help his team manage their overwhelming volume of projects. On the podcast, Clint brings together business managers and leaders to share with you how they have overcome their business pains and how you can too. And now, here's your host, Clint Junell. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Business Aspirin. I'm your host, Clint Janelle. Today with me, I have a good friend of mine, Clark Brown. Clark and I have a unique connection and relationship in regard to the restoration space and uh, just some mutual people that we've known that we won't necessarily talk about in some of this environment. Uh, but Clark is a consultant um, and, and leads and runs restoration advisors, has been involved in some other things that you guys are all aware of. I'll let him talk about that stuff as we kind of go through this if he wants to. Um, and just a unique story. So I'm excited about having Clark on because of Clark's perspective in the space. And then two, which I mentioned to him before we started actually recording, is Clark has not only started his own business and knows how to grow a business, but his business is helping others start and grow their business. So he's going to have some just nuggets of just great things for us to chat about in regard to business aspirin and business pain points and things of that nature. Clark, how the heck are you, brother? Great, Clint. How are you doing? I'm good, buddy. I'm so glad to have you on, dude, for real. Uh, I love how the sun's coming down on your face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I was like, I'm going to have to do something with that. And, you know, maybe maybe we just rock it. Maybe we just I'm rock great, it. Great, man. Good to see you. You too, buddy. So how's your world? It's really, as Dave Ramsey says, better than I deserve. It's It's really a lot better than I make it out to be having fun, which is just my main thing. Um, I'm enjoying what I'm doing and growing my team, which is always a struggle, but it's like one of those bittersweet things. So sure. getting to know each other, figuring out personality types and things like that. But we're in a kind of a, a growth spurt right now. We just launched a new process and system a few months ago and just kind of like giraffe legs, kind of getting them under us and figuring out what's broken and what's not. But um, I can't complain. And I'm also getting the season change. I live in Virginia and we're 55 degrees today and I nice. had a hot summer. So I'm, I'm really enjoying the cool down. You, but other you than can't that, I'm talk to me about a hot summer. <laughs> no, I can't. You, you can't. Now you can still brag a lot about the fact that it's 55 and crisp and nice and cool this morning. You can do that. You can't talk about well, the hot summer. I can just say that I was smart enough to leave. I grew up there and I, <laughs> I endured those summers and I'm like, you know, this is, I can, this leave. is, this is hot. Why are we still here? This is miserably yeah. hot. Yeah, man. Well, that's awesome, dude. So like, I, I'm excited. I've seen a lot of the the work that you're doing in terms of you guys have a pretty good rhythm on emails and putting out your own podcast and doing things of that nature. So let's talk about your business. Let's talk about restoration advisors and let's, what is it? What do you do? How did you get in the restoration space? How did you leave the restoration space to get back into the restoration space? Are you in the restoration space? You don't do restoration anymore, really. So talk about whatever it is you want to talk about there. Yeah, I'll start at the high level briefly. Grew up right down the road from you at East Texas, um, a town that's not even worth big enough to mentioning. And um, my family was in the dry cleaning business. We did laundry and dry cleaning, starch the jeans, the whole bit. And my dad was an entrepreneur. My mom and dad both ran the businesses. We kind of grew that business. So they grew that business as I was growing up to uh, pretty much a large 
entity much larger now looking back than I thought it was at the time, you know, because when you're in it, you're like, mom and dad have too many businesses, you know, whatever. But I left school or I left, you know, hometown, went off to college and played baseball. And I said, I'm going to do anything with my life other than dry cleaning. Uh, Anybody that's ever been to a dry cleaner, it's it's hard work, it's hot, it's sometimes thankless. (laughs) But, you know, I now cherish those times. But I just said, I'm going to do anything but that. And went to college, came out, wasn't as easy as I thought it was going to be to just create anything. So I wound up back in dry cleaning. And I ended up staying in that industry for about 10 or 11 years through owning my own cleaners uh, in Texas and across the country in, in Florida. And then I worked for other people because I always believe that every entrepreneur should work for people sometimes because that's your resume. That's learning what you don't know and see how other people do things. And it's, it's humbling. Fast forward to right around 98, 99, started a restoration textile cleaning in in houston texas this was when the mold is gold days this was after the dripping springs emergence yeah. and um it was just such a need our retail cleaners was getting inundated with people bringing entire homes of their soft goods drapes and stuff <clears throat> to our retail business and it was choking it out production wise so we opened a separate company that just handled that like a wholesale thing Grew that business. That became my main focus because the margins were great, less dealing with the public, blah, blah, blah. And went through that thing, made a lot of relationships with some natural, national disaster companies, local and regional. And uh, an acquisition approached, sold that company. And um, I was ready. I was ready just like, this is not how I'm going to spend the rest of my life. And I jumped into this industry, the restoration disaster, the actual contracting, doing the structure and other things with a, a really large company who had been my client. And they said, the owner, the principal of that company told me, give me 10 years of your life and you'll be able to write your own path. I will show you how this industry works and you can do anything you want to do. Well, I gave him eight. He still tells me I owe him two. Um, but he's been basically right. I wouldn't say that I have pursued super juggernaut large company structure, but I have decided that I could do whatever I want to do. Um, worked in this industry. This is my 21st year in aging myself. I've owned my own restoration company in Houston and, uh, again, scaled that, exited that. I wouldn't say I'm a business, I wouldn't say I'm a business builder as much as I am, it just naturally happens. Someone comes along and I do get bored easy. I'm a visionary and I want to the next thing. So sitting there, sold my company. What do I want to do now that I've grown up? And I, I was truthful with myself. I generally like helping people that don't know what they don't know, learn micro lessons that grow into those bigger conversations. So I just said, I don't like the term consultant because consultants come into companies and have, you know, flow charts and PowerPoints and say the same thing. And they, they have spreadsheets that nobody looks at. And I said, I just like to be an advisor. I like to, uh, as a client, you and I talked about, I'm more comfortable sitting on the tailgate talking about business than I am in a room with a dressed up with khakis. 
Um, so I just built restoration advisors and we help small to medium sized restoration companies have a better life. Uh, not necessarily grow massive companies, but grow a company that doesn't consume them, that doesn't require them to work all holidays, all nights and all weekends and do their own exactimates um, to have fun, build stuff, build people, and then show them how to scale and get out of their business and go across the country and meet people like Clint and Janelle and spend time with people like that. And then they really start to learn that grow. So that's in a nutshell what I do. We're on the operational side, Clint. We're not a sales and marketing focused company. Um, it's just not my natural spot. So we work on operations systems, hacks, playbooks, whatever you want to call them, on how to just systemize things so that they're consistent, expected, predictable, and, and that's that's the beautiful thing to me about having you on this podcast today is the goal of the podcast was to just talk to business owners and help this next group of people coming through that's either trying to get started or trying to you know go from a million to three million or whatever the case may be and be able to identify pains in business so that from our experiences they can learn listening to a podcast and gather some little bits of information about how do I, how do I make this work? <clears throat> and that's what you're doing as a business is helping those same guys. So it's so great to have you here because it aligns so perfectly with what business Asper is trying to do. And just, Hey man, listen to this podcast. There's three nuggets of information that you can grab and apply those to your business. And it's going to help you in some fashion. And especially today, like even just making connection with somebody like you and being able to go, okay, Clark does operational efficiencies. And he helps identify business pains. You like you are a business aspirin. You are helping solve those business pains, right? Like yeah. take two of Clark's in the morning and then call me tomorrow. <laughs> um, it's yeah. kind of that thing, right? So Good way to look at it. And that's so that's why I was excited to finally get you on. Uh, and I know you and I have had to battle back and forth on schedules just to kind of make this thing work, but it's exciting to have you here. So let's let's talk then about. Like, would you rather talk about pains you've experienced when you've stepped into starting your businesses and restoration advisors or whatever? Or do you want to talk about sure. pains you've seen others experience? Which, which I think they're the same. I think okay. those things. Let's talk I, about it. I want to first tell people to talk about systems. Systems causes a emotional, mental, your eyes drill back in your head because it seems like everyone talks about it. But the way I like to put it in perspective is there's not any business person that's going to be watching your podcast today that's not struggling in some way with the the people aspect, the the labor, the, the shortage of, the lack of engagement of. Systems help that. They don't alleviate your people problem, but they make the people problem easier, whether it's once you have a system and the positions are clear and what you need to happen, it's easier to hire the right people. When you don't know what you need, you hire anyone and usually the wrong anyone. So I tell people that, that as much as you don't want to go back to the old Rockefeller habits, they effing work. They yes. just fundamentals still drive businesses. You know, we live in a world where every TikTok is telling you do things differently, be the outsider, be that you can do all that. But your business needs to produce a result so that you're allowed to go do the things you want to do and be your own freaky self. So I think that the pains I've had, I would tell you most of them, I've watched other people have them and I still had them. I think that's just natural that we 
put on blinders. We go in head first, especially the entrepreneur types where you're just like risk is super low. I've been fortunate. I was fortunate, not lucky, but I was fortunate to have exposure to a good group of people that gave me some integrated business sense. Um, I've always, you know, I, I learned from a few people besides my dad that don't own a directing company, own a business that does that. Make the business work and then just go freaky, freaky on building and designing and creating whatever it is your heart's desire. But it's the Maslow's hierarchy of of needs. You have fundamentally things that have to work before you can do the thing. You got to do the things you need before the things you want. And uh, a lot of people upside down do that wrong and they try to just go out and then they struggle. They start getting these self-limiting beliefs in themselves and others and they get negative and start painting their own visions and stuff like that. So yeah, pain points happen. And I will tell everybody you won't have a business without them, but you don't have to have all of them. And they're all, as you grow, you're going to have different ones. As you know, you've grown your businesses. What got you to a million doesn't get you to four. The people that got you there, they either need to be upgraded or outgraded. So yeah. And systems and processes and all of that has to be changed. Right. Like you, all can't that. do the same, like to a million bucks. I just kind of kept everything in my head and did what I needed to do to make things move forward. Right. Right. You can't do that when you start getting over a million. You, you just, there's just too much, man. And so you got to do something, much. which is what we did. Like we did something. Um, and, 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 and build some things to make it work. Down. Yeah, your for sure. It's hard. Level goes down and it's like your brain is the strongest muscle and you just, you can't use it all the time. It has to have something to fall back. A Google inside of your own head that you go back to that other mm-hmm. people can tap into. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, that's great. I've had I've had my struggles in business. Um, I struggle with ideas too much. I'm I'm, I'm a visionary on the chart more, and I, I you know probably most people I I want to do the next thing. I, I I pride myself on looking down the road and around the corner, but sometimes I don't just look and identify. I take action when we still have things back here. So that's probably my biggest Achilles' heel. Heel and my team has gotten good at holding me back, throwing a rope, reminding me why doing all that will hurt what we're doing today. So those are my biggest lessons. And I think that happens in in our space, just going to every ICRC class to become the best technician. It's important to be technically founded, but there's probably a lot of classes you're not going to that would help you huge. And uh, I, I just try to encourage people to think of balancing their education between the technical, the philosophical, and everything. Well, and and a business isn't knowing how to sling fans. No, you can be great at drawing a, a small and business ter- and terrible at, at business. Yeah. And and if you so, don't want and, to grow. If you don't want to grow, make yeah. sure you sling fans the rest of your career. Yeah, that's right. That's a perfect recipe. <laughs> yeah, you know, one of the things you said was you know the hierarchy of needs, and one of the things that I've seen in conversations with the guys on the podcast, even is there are so many people that put their wants ahead of their needs and that puts them in a buying in business. So they want that big fancy truck and they do it too early. They don't hold and wait on it. Instead, it's a need. Oh, I got to have that because they're trying to show something. And I think, I think you would agree with me. The perspective is don't do that. Like you don't have to show anything right now, like grow your business. And then later you can show whatever you want when you're solid and set. And so I appreciate you saying, you know, put your needs in front of your wants because 
truly you need to grow your business. You need to get these things in place, processes, the things that help you grow and scale and be more successful. Yeah. I think the old, old adage is if you take care of it, it will take care of you. And, sure. and the opposite is true. And, and uh, it, you know, again, I love learning from others, watching what others are doing, but not to duplicate, just to absorb. And when you start watching other people, you'll start seeing the things that they have. Again, back to the big truck, the trips yeah. to yeah. Bali. And you're like, I want that. Yeah. Well, I want a lot of things. But what's that going to do? What will the consequences be? What will the results be? And will it hurt me to wait another two years to do some things right and go then? You probably find out you didn't really want that big truck. You know, gas was $4.50 a gallon for a while. You're like, yeah, I would have rather had a, a, a Toyota. So um, I think I again, a, we get I can really talk about that experience. <laughs> yeah. But we, uh, I think, I think impulsiveness for a small business, especially in a really volatile, ever-changing world and market you just feel like you got to pivot every day i think that's just um it's fun but it's hard because the results well, are not what you want so and two when if you look at when you and i both got started in this space we weren't looking at and watching other people in the restoration space take any trips or do anything or show what they were doing because no. there was no tools to do that with social media has created this vision where people show the spectacular things of what they're doing, whether or not, I mean, your business could be failing. You could take a trip to Bali just to try to get out of it. Right. Yeah. So stop chasing what other people are doing. Um, right. And, and then focus on your business and your growth and what you need yeah. um, and kind of navigate it that way. So what's talk to me about, like you talk about business pains and you think everybody's kind of consistent in pains. And I think that a lot of that is true. Um, I had a buddy tell me recently, you know, and part of what he said, and I've said this on a couple of podcasts now, um, but he said, you know, do the right thing for the right reason. Trust God for the rest. Bad days are guaranteed. And I love that part of, you know, bad days are guaranteed. Um, and this is a, a, you know, a Marine veteran buddy of mine that was blown up and, you know, lost a leg and got pretty mangled in part of the war. And uh, just his perspective on it is, you know, it is what it is. Uh, bad days are guaranteed. And I think that's the same in business though, right? Especially in the restoration space, like men, bad days are guaranteed. $90,000 you're owed on a project isn't completely uncommon. Um, I, I, I am aware of one right now that's chasing $20 million on a project. Yeah. Bro, 20 million yeah. and just getting ghosted right now. So like, that's a bad day, right? Wow. I didn't even know how you, I didn't know how you get there. I'd love to be in a position where I could have even afforded to sit and wait on a twenty million dollar one to pay me. Um, but you know, so talk talk about the bad days. Let's talk about what happens. What happens in the restoration space? What happens in restoration advisors? What happens with some of your clients? Without obviously being specific about any of them, like what what are the things that you see in the restoration space that are bad days or cause bad days? I think we have a lot of challenges and the, the lack of people knowing how to process what's most important that the book the one thing by Gary Keller is we focus on a thousand things, but it's usually one thing that would make those thousands be more like 12. And when we ignore that truth and because it's just, we feel for whatever emotional reason we are triggered to, 
put our fingers into everything and not hire people and trust people and micromanage people to know that. I think that I don't see a lot of big issues at restoration advisors. I just see a compound of all of them that manifest themselves in not handling and, and then just kind of freezing and going dark and then leaving it up to, you know, like a casino playing the odds. Let's just see what happens. I'm going to keep this toxic employee and I'm not going to replace them because I need to have them to do the work, but maybe they'll get better um, while you've done nothing to make the situation better. And then by the way, in that case, the rest of your team is just hating you because you're keeping this person in their company. You have everybody who's watched this has had that before that you fire someone, you release them, whatever you want to call it and, or move them to another department if you have one. And the people that were there, like, thank you. Oh, what took thank God. Uh, yeah, sure. Thank God. And by the way, they said we would have picked up the slack for that one person and done it. Just, just done it. Yeah. Get adjusted. Yeah. Um, I think the pain points in our industry, Clint, would not be secret of the insurance dynamic, the collections. Um, it's not as complicated as we think. It's because our industry views insurance as their customer. I know that they have a customer and a homeowner, but they think in ways that that customer is only going to get the money from their insurance company. And that might be true in, in, in fact, but putting your customer first and focus in front of you, onboarding them the right way. Onboarding is a big thing to me. Onboarding your client to let them know the best outcome for this is for us to do our best work and be paid for that. You as an insured if you're using proceeds from insurance, have rights. You have the the superior position in this entire pyramid between the three of us. Hold them accountable. Hold us accountable. You have a policy that says so, blah, blah, blah. But when we remove them from the responsibilities they have and the empowerment that they deserve, we end up assuming the risk for them. And that is very confusing for a service-based company that says, I showed up, I did what I was supposed to do. We held the hand of this customer and now you don't want to pay me. It causes this aggravation. It causes people to think that all customers are going to cheat them. All insurance adjusters are bad people. None of those things are true, but that's the painting. And I think getting stuck in that mindset from the person that drives the ship on the whole company it starts to go off course and starts to do things in response to that one or two bad $20 million claim. The rest of your customers are paying you, but that one that didn't, I'm going to pull a you hand. Get tainted, and you get tainted by that one, right? Yeah. Tainted by the tainted one, by the one. Change. Yeah. Everything we do, we're going to change it. Although that's only 1%. And I see that as an emotional reaction. And I, I try to just help people keep, if you're in the high view, stay in the high view. That will pass. These bad things that we talked about, Clint, you and I have both had horrible businesses experiences, and we almost now kind of laugh about them. Like th the pain's gone. We now have a podcast that we can talk about them in yeah. a way of learning and overcoming. But at the time, the end of the world. Yeah. So well, I just think that everybody, if they remember that the worst things that have ever happened to you aren't currently the worst things, they just were bad times. And so far, we've survived all of them, right? And honestly, this is we won't go there, but sometimes the best things come from the worst things. Yeah. Uh, every yeah. decision I made after my worst decisions 
have made me more successful in whatever it is I do. If, if I hadn't have had that, a lot of people don't, you know, if you watch Jocko, Jocko talks about his video good. good. When something <laughs> good. bad happens, say, good. good. I needed a lesson. Spend more time on this, you know? So I think well, and, in business- and to that, and to yeah. that, there's actually, there's a lot in terms of what you said that I would like to see if we can kind of comment on. But even on that that statement, good, right? They Literally, your brain is wired so that if you say something out loud to yourself, yeah. your brain doesn't know if it was you or somebody else. Your brain's not that smart. <laughs> so if you say, good, we'll overcome it. And you say that stuff out loud, like literally there's opportunities for your brain to go, oh, well, maybe it's not as bad. It'll be okay. Everything will be fine. Those kind of things are valuable. Um, and I think that's significant. I love that entire podcast on that section where he's talking about that stuff. But, okay, so let's go back to a couple of things. Uh, and I, I want to talk about the, the the fact that in part of what you're saying, I hear you're saying we're making it harder than we should be. And part of that comes to we can't keep our hands out of everything, which, I, dude, I did. Like when you're when you're trying to grow and trying to navigate it, you're doing everything like you're creating the exact mate and you're making the sales and you're slinging the fans and you're doing all the monitors and you're doing all those things. And as you grow, unless you get processes in place, you do the same thing with the next person. You have them do everything and it just becomes this cluster of a mess. And so you're obviously advising um, in your role on individuals of how to avoid some of these things. That's, that's what your coaching is about, right? How do you, how do you get people to take their hands off of stuff and not make it so hard? How do you get people to endure that 36 hours of pain on firing the toxic person instead of enduring it for the next six months or six years of making the rest of their team miserable? How, how do, how do you advise in that environment? How do you, how do you identify those pain points for those team members? How do you have that discussion in terms of people listening to us right now, knowing you and, and that's part of the reason we do buy business aspirin is because you and I have had these pains and I want these people to know it's not just them. You're not the only person that's experiencing this pain. We've had them. So in your role, how do you, how do you, I know part of how this works, but people haven't heard you tell this story. So how do you go in and identify and see what's happening and then fix those problems? How's it work? You have to have some tools and they could be the old, you know, they could be the SWATs. I have a fix this next. Um, I believe in uh, this is something that we've coach is ACDC. It came from a learning that I learned from Mike McCallowitz. It's ACDC is an acronym besides a great band. Uh, it's the four primary stages of your business. And it helps you to identify where am I struggling? Cause I'm probably solving the wrong problems, right? I've heard you say that before. A is for acquire. You have to acquire leads. You have to be that's marketing. That's drawing in new opportunities, creating a brand that makes its own. However you do that, you may buy your leads. C is converting. You've got to convert those leads, those eyeballs to trust that you can solve their problem. If you're a service or your product, whatever D the ACDC of D is delivery. You actually got to deliver it. You've actually got to do good work. And that's technically not cause mold in houses, get a building where it doesn't smell from a fire, uh, get a business back open. It, you, you begin to build a reputation and then C is collecting. So ACDC. So when people call me and say, I've got this problem and I'll say, it sounds to me, if I listen to ACDC, the cash flow is keeping you. Well, I need to hire better people. Well, why aren't you hiring better people? Cause we have too much in receivables. So you have a collections problem. And it's, by the way, it's not because the insurance won't pay you. It's just, you don't have a great process. So 
Clint, to answer what you say, I, I have I have lots of stories that would tune into this if anybody ever wanted to reach out to me. But we teach a lot of tactics, and I love to tell people, I don't care if you're small or medium, which are the two sizes that I deal with. You can still do big company things. You can still steal what they do on a smaller scale and put it into your company. Because, by the way, you're going to need it later anyway, so might as well get it in and make a habit. I have all those. We have playbooks for just about everything. I'll usually start with a conversation to, hey, what do you know? I don't really coach as much anymore as my team does, but I'll, you know, a lot of people say I need some Clark time and it's usually sitting on the tailgate. I'm struggling with this. Well, I've got a fix for that. We might can fix it here today or it might be something over the next couple of months or whatever. But what I have found most of my clients and people that I've worked with and even people that are friends that call me up say, hey, you got five minutes. And I'm like, hell yeah, I've got eight minutes. Let's go. It's just talking through things. It's having someone who doesn't have an emotional, irritated attachment to their problem that sees things differently, that gives them the clarity to take a breath, realize, like you said, that everybody else, you're not unique, that everybody has mm -hmm. a problem, mm -hmm. and this is how they deal with it, or you just do deal with it, and this is how you modify everything around it to make it less of a problem. And I have one client that I just tell you last week on Tuesday, he called me up and he said, uh, he's in Wisconsin. He said, Clark, our goal this year for end of 2023 was 5.9 million. And I'm like, great. I know. And I've been watching his scorecard and I know where he's at on his P and L's. And he goes, we've already hit that. We're a little past it. And I said, vacation. <laughs> and, and he said, he goes, we're going to do 6.3 this year. I'm like, great. I said, what's made that possible? He goes, you've cleared the way. Now, he lives in Wisconsin. He talks in terms of snowblowers. He goes, a sidewalk that's been cleared is much easier to go through than one that's full. He goes, you've cleared the phone calls, the issues, the people not doing what they're supposed to do. The turnover has dropped to almost nothing. It's made him, which his ability is selling, to be, I can go sell or stop selling if we're too busy or shorthanded, I can manage that because sure. the business is no longer the part that needs a hundred percent of me. And that's what I think I like to say that we help with. And, and hopefully any good coach says a coach on the field, you just need to get to the end zone. What's in your way is your defender, your offensive line is blocking. And we're going to work on that separately, but you just need to keep focusing on the end zone. I'm going to talk in, in football talk there, but those kinds of anecdotes, those kinds of real world examples, I'm a storyteller. And I use this thing called a kind of like, don't talk about the thing they have, take it out of that context and find another area that they can relate to where they're not so attached and like, ah, I see that. And that might be the medical, that might be a past industry they were in. It might be something that we're watching in the news right now. Elon Musk, how do you think he deals with having eight companies that do trillions of dollars? He, he can't have these kinds of problems. He has to hire the people to do those things and then just trust them and accept the bad shit's going to happen. Mm -hmm. Beep that out. Yeah. Nah, we'll keep it in there. I don't think we're regulated <laughs> the same way. But yeah, like bad days are guaranteed, right? So bad days are guaranteed and it is what it is. But um, so playbooks, you've got multiple playbooks. Uh, yeah. What What is your, what's your favorite thing to solve for your clients? Like what's the, what's your wheelhouse or what was your wheelhouse when you were doing mostly the coaching? What What is it you're looking for to try to, make right for somebody 
that's a big question. Um, I have some personal favorites. I, I still, I'm currently in the last year and a half. I think that client onboarding, you know, telling your customer what the journey is going to look like, what their part is, what your part is, what everyone's role is to, to create a better outcome. Because when you don't do that, everybody's just confused and confusion causes fear. Fear causes irrational decisions. And then they don't want to pay you because they don't really know that you did what you said you were going to do. Right. So client onboarding is a big one. Um, I always just like to tell the owner, you know, there's not a playbook, but just one step at a time. The problem you're having today won't be a, you won't even think about that next week. You might barely, but just moving forward. Um, I think knowing your numbers is crucial, crucial, crucial. It's not something, it's not overly complicated. You just have to have systems to measure it so that you can view it and then learn to recognize what they are. I think that our industry has a very, very odd relationship with how they price the work that they do. And they don't know why they charge what they charge. So therefore it's hard to defend and it's hard to fight for. And so um, I have some playbooks on helping people. You probably are struggling because you're not charging the right amount. And that sometimes is too much. You're trying to charge something for you. You, you can't be the worst burger joint trying to charge the most. It's just not going to work. It's just right. not. The, or you're going after the wrong customer that can't afford that burger. Um, so I, I think those are some playbooks, but the people part is probably the accountability, how to hold people accountable. And and that comes from the, the employee, your staff member, your team member. They need to know what their part in this venture is sure. and, and what happens if they don't. It has to be super, super crystal clear, you know, fifth grade level discussions. They're like, oh, if I don't do this, it affects all of those things, including me and my pay and stuff like that. So those are some of the playbooks that I like to spot on. Sure. sure. Okay. So uh, if I'm, if I was counting kind of correctly, I'm going to say there was probably five different playbooks you essentially mentioned right there in that, in that period of time. Um, and so I want to, I want to dive into just kind of the first aspect without giving your playbook away. Um, mm -hmm. But the first one you mentioned was client onboarding. And so if somebody's brand new and they're not, you know, accustomed to this, you know, industry specifically. I just lost an earbud. I'm going to try to see if I can grab it this way, put it back in so the other one doesn't fall out. If they're not accustomed to this industry, they don't know how this works. When you say client onboarding, they're like, well, yeah, I got the customer's information, put it in the job. But what you're talking about specifically is if you're in the restoration space and you're trying to get paid for what you've done, it doesn't matter whether you're a TPA vendor or a program vendor, for those of you that don't understand some of this language, the insurance company is going to have some problem with something you build, regardless of who you are, what you've done. And they are going to regurgitate information back to the customer that says, nobody ever bills for this. Nobody ever charges for this. Or this is the only customer that in my 30 years in the restoration space, this is the only customer. And you're laughing because this is the exact same thing you've heard over and over. And restoration companies throughout the country here regularly. I've been doing this for 30 years and I've never seen anybody charge overhead and profit on mitigation only. Um, I've never seen anybody charge any kind of admin fee for this. Well, no, you a fuel fee should just be a part of your uh, cost of doing business, that sort of thing. And so if they don't know, I mean, I was guilty of this early on too, right? Oh my God, really? Okay. You know, you just take those things off and you just, they, they're, they're telling the customer, nobody's ever charged. The customer's getting upset with you because you're fighting with the insurance company about a bill. The customer's like, they're saying this, 
If you don't have a defense, if you haven't onboarded your customer correctly, which is what you're talking about, to understand exactly how this process is going to work, then now you're fighting both your customer and the insurance company because the insurance company is pretty good at, you know, banging their drum and putting in a position that makes it difficult for you to get collected. And so that's where it's at. Clark has a playbook, guys, to help you navigate that business pain point. He has business. He has, we're going to have whatever copy. If you reach out to Clark, post this podcast because you found Clark this way, then he's just going to write aspirin on every playbook that he hands you. It's going to be restoration advisors aspirin. Like this is how we solve this problem. But he has, he has aspirin. Honestly, he probably has like, you know, hydrocodone for your business. Like he's got real good painkillers in what he's done, right? So Clark's really good at what he does. And he's helped a lot of companies have some really good success. And he's he's taken the time to navigate identifying and understanding what's required to put these playbooks together. And his playbook is not, he, he can't hand you a playbook and it solve all of your problems because all of us are unique. We do things differently, but a damn good place to start, right? Clark. So um, super exciting about that sort of thing. So um, I know we were set for a 30 minute podcast or a little over that already. Um, So I don't want to drag out your time. I could talk to you for hours, dude, you know, like when the times when we're driving down the road, we could chat for a long time, just driving to wherever we're going. Um, Let's just do it again next year, Clint. Let's just do part two next year. And maybe, maybe some questions will have come up in the comments. Maybe people will mention and we'll have, yeah, things absolutely. to bring back and, and go deeper into, but I, I'm I'm always available for for doing this with you. Well, I'd love to do it. Is there any last little bit of advice you'd like to share with someone before we bounce off? I mean, a lot, but I just just do your best. You know, we have to run the business, we have to fight the insurance company, but don't let you team. And and this was a conversation this week with a, a big group of our clients. Don't let your aggravation with the frustrations of the business be done in public. If you badmouth adjusters, if you badmouth customers in front of your team, you're giving them permission to do the same. And I think that's not the leadership that people need right now. I know a lot of people talk about leadership. That's where it is. Do that stuff in private. Tell, remind your employees that all customers aren't bad. All insurance adjusters aren't bad. They're just doing their job. And we have to have better systems to combat it. If we're unprepared, we're probably going to get the short end of the stick, but I just think lead from the front and what you do, how you do anything is how you do everything type of stuff. And sure. that was a real powerful. I had about 40 people with their employees and a lot of people, owners said guilty. Yeah, for I sure. Come right. Storming out and everybody starts talking like I do to everybody. And it ends up being unnecessary and just kind of gets lowers the uh, sure. emotional IQ of the whole place. So that sure. would be my, recent takeaway from just this week it's so relevant to yeah. what i've talked about now pump the brakes take a breath react yep. differently that's awesome wait till dude. tomorrow yeah. yeah wait till tomorrow yeah probably Absolutely. won't be a big deal tomorrow yeah i love it i love it yep clark brother so good to have you on dude so good to see your face i appreciate you being with us everybody thank yeah, you for listening to business aspirin clark we'll have you back next year for sure dude talk soon see ya This has been a Business Aspirin, pain relief for business podcast. If you're a business owner trying to overcome your business pains, follow us on Apple Podcasts or visit our website for more information, job-docs.com.